where where you first place that story is just the beginning. If, if it's online, it's going to live online forever. And I've had you know clients say that one online story that they continued to get clicks and sales off that story for years afterwards. Hey guys, welcome to the Wine, Whiskey, and Weed Show. Today I have Lisa Wesser with me. You know she she has been uh, she is actually one of the uh, main PR and you know, uh, personalities of cannabis world. And more importantly, which really interested me personally was Lisa was heading uh, the brand the communication and marketing for Anheuser-Busch uh, for US. Uh, and I think uh, apart from that, she's worked with clients like AT&T, Canopy Growth, you know, Visa. So really want to uh, learn a lot from her about how to get good PR, you know, what is a good story? And uh, we'll just deep dive into that. So Lisa, thanks for joining me here. And, uh, you know, uh, why don't you introduce our audience uh, about yourself and just uh, what you are up to these days? Sure. Thanks for having me on, first of all. Um, my name is Lisa Weezer. Um, my um, practice is called Trailblaze. We're a boutique agency that focuses primarily on the cannabis space. Um, and we definitely specialize in beverage. We don't just represent beverage, but since that's my background, that's really our roots. Um, and um, we've been doing this for about four years. Um, we work with a really broad swath of clients from some of the largest names in cannabis, um, like Canopy Growth, um, where we've been fortunate to launch iconic brands like Martha Stewart CBD, um, some of their first um, ever cannabis and CBD beverages like Quattro, um, both in Canada and the US. Um, to um, some MSOs, so um, brands like Marymed, um, where we've just launched their Vibations brand, which is um, a powdered THC beverage with caffeine, which is kind of going after the energy drinks category, which is interesting. Um, and for that client, we also, of course, um, did a great PR stunt last year, um, the world's largest pot brownie, an 850 pound 20,000 milligram pot brownie that went viral and ended up on wow. Saturday Night Live, which was fantastic. Um, and a few other um, MSO clients um, like that. And then we also um, work with some startups. So especially in the beverage space, we've worked with several startups um, in both the CBD and the cannabis space. Um, and um, in, at the same time, you know, I think leveraged my beverage and alcohol um, to work with them um, to help get um, into retailers. So we've helped some clients um, make partnerships with, um, you know, distributors uh, from the alcohol world who are interested in carrying CBD beverages um, as a way to start to test that market um, and, uh, you know, get that on the shelves alongside alcohol, which I think is where we all see the cannabis um, beverage industry going eventually. Um, so that's really what I've been up to. Um, uh, my team is virtual. So I have um, half my team in LA, half my team in New York and a few other people <clears throat> interspersed in legal markets around the US. Um, and before that, I led brand PR at Anheuser-Busch InBev, as you mentioned. Uh, so I was in charge of uh, marketing communications for their US portfolio of beers, which ranged from, you know, their high-end beers like Stella Artois, um, to their, um, you know, core brands like Budweiser and Bud Light, uh, to um, a lot of the newer um, entrants, um, some of the uh, more like FMB, um, you know, Spike Seltzer, uh, the Ritas. Um, now they've really gotten into canned wines and just continued, you know, to kind of innovate in that category. Um, so um, a lot of time working in in beverage and alcohol um, with distributors. And um, I think all in, I've launched probably close to 40 beverage brands um, across, nice. um, you know, THC, CBD and alcohol and water. So, um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you today and speaking at the Drinks Expo in a couple of weeks. 
Absolutely, will we'll be pleasure to meet you there as well. And you know, I think I'm looking forward to that panel that you've you're coming up with. So it looks great. Uh, so let's go in the PR part, right? Like most of our uh, companies watching this show, Lisa is really small to medium. You know, so obviously we're not you know uh, comparing how a big CPG brand or a big you know a beverage brand like let's say an either Bush family would roll out a brand, right? So I really want to bring context there. Is you know, let's imagine a medium or a small uh, beverage company or even a cannabis mm -hmm. edibles brand or any other brand, right? Uh, one is, you know, what kind of uh, story they should draft, like if it was a PR release, right? They're writing a two-page PR uh, release. What are the good elements of uh, that PR release? And why do you think uh, they need to write that? Because, you know, based on your experience, that's what is mm -hmm. getting picked up and not what people are just typically writing that, hey, launching this and launching that. So give us some examples of, crafting a good story? Sure. I mean, the first thing that I tell all my clients is that press releases do not drive earned media coverage. So press releases, you know, I think are a great exercise for helping to um, nail down your narrative and align with your partners um, on your narrative if you're working with other partners or distributors. Um, and um, they are a great tactic for SEO and just for kind of, you know, legitimizing your business. But reporters don't pick up a press release off the wire and write a news story anymore. It just doesn't happen unless there's a major celebrity involved. Oh, yeah. um, and that is where a PR agency comes in because um, the way that those stories get made is that we really work um, directly with um, the journalists and influencers that we have spent, you know, decades cultivating relationships with um, to help match the right story with the right outlet with the right writer um, and to really kind of pitch them and sell them in on your narrative to have them sample your product. So there's a lot more that goes into getting those stories made. Um, but to back up for a, for a moment, when you asked about kind of what you should be thinking about writing and, and your narrative, the other place we always start with is how do you differentiate? Because um, I'm sure as you know, um, especially in beverage, there's just an absolute proliferation of brands. Um, we're really seeing that in the CBD space. We're starting to see it in the THC space. Um, and of course, in you know water and alcohol, that's already been the case, craft beer, et cetera. So how are you going to differentiate and what can you say that you can own that maybe you're the only you know, brand or product that could say that? And that's not mm. always easy to figure out, but I think that that is the first task because you really need to find a way to stand apart for journalists. They get over a hundred you know, pitches a day for products that are almost identical and they're only gonna open maybe 10% of them. Um, and so you know, what can we tell them that is, that is different? Um, whether it totally. is your founder story. Um, so maybe you've got a really unique origin story Story. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe you've got, you know, a person of color behind the brand that, you know, has a different point of view. Is it, um, you know, your ingredients, your flavor profile? Um, you know, are you bringing something new to the category, um, like a Delta 8? Um, do you have some data to kind of support why the market needs this that is new, fresh data? Um, you know, are you working maybe with, um, you know, an influencer or a celebrity or some other kind of public figure that's going to be novel or interesting? So that's really where we start. And, you know, then we build kind of the narrative from there with the press release and also just kind of a detailed message platform that we can use well beyond the launch for, mm. you know, everything else that we do. Because ultimately, you want to pick three to five key messages that you're going to pull through everything you do from your press release to your website, to your social posts, 
there's the stories that you, the, or the messages you want to see pull through and the actual stories that people write. So it's really helping you identify what's different and what's most important about your product and making sure that you are really consistently getting that message out across, you know, 360 communications mm. platforms. Got it. So uh, back on what you just said, you know, it's it's good to even clarify with what I'm I'm planning to do as well, right? So is there even a, a free press release happening, or it's all paid to play sort of things? Uh, one is that. Second is, you know, uh, we, you know, when when we personally do press releases here and there, obviously we'll we'll try the business wires and all the general stuff, but then that's all going in a very mass and general, you know, uh, spaces. It's just SEO actually, as a, as you as you think it's it's mainly mm -hmm. played and you know it's just another content for them, so they're just posting it because of SEO, another extra content from all this wires, right? Mm -hmm. um, but let's say I crafted a great story. You told me what to do. I, I've written a nice narrative original story now comes the distribution part right so what is a good approach like uh do you think it's good to have a carrot in your email saying hey we're looking to spend some ad money or or purely be passionate about that story you know and stop it there uh how do we get people interested you know apart from this wires yeah well it's interesting because you know Historically, you know, when we all went to journalism school and learned PR, there were there was kind of a very clear division between paid media and earned media. And paid media was an ad that you bought so that you could control your message. And earned media was true PR, where it was completely unpaid, where the journalist decides what they want to say or write, and you have no control over, you know, that outcome. Yeah. I think what we're seeing now is um, kind of a interesting gray space. Um, where we still have earned media, but there can be a paid component of it. Um, so the first thing that I think is really important is affiliate marketing. And typically today, when we take on a product brand that we're going to represent, we don't like to represent a brand unless they are using affiliate marketing, if they legally can. So a THC product, for example, can't do that because they can't sell THC products online. But a CBD product, whether it's a beverage or a lip balm, uh, you know, or a gummy, they typically can. And the reason for that is when you think about um, a lifestyle outlet that you might want to have write about your beverage, like, you know, Thrillist or New York mm -hmm. Magazine, you know, The Strategist or Men's Health or Allure. Um, a lot of those print magazines have been shutting down and they're really relying on their on their digital website. And the way that they keep the lights on and, and, and pay their freelancers and their journalists um, increasingly is affiliate marketing. And what that means is that the journalist might review 50 beverages and do a roundup and say, these are my seven favorites. You can sample that journalist. You can, you know, uh, hope that yours gets picked as one of the seven. That's up to them. That is earned. Right. However, they will often say, we're only going to include in our roundup products that have affiliate marketing. And what that means is that when they say, I recommended this beverage, I loved it, I tasted it, there's a link to buy it. And then when somebody goes and buys it from that link, the, the website gets a cut of that sale, right? Um, so that's an example where it is earned media, you still need to hire a PR agency, you know, or a publicist to pitch that reporter, you know, to work with them to get their mailing address, send them the product, send them your so, press uh, with images. Why, why can't people go direct uh, to them? You know, why you think because obviously, uh, they, they, they just want to talk to you and not like 100 different people, they prefer to talk to, you know, publicists? It's possible to go to direct and some people do, but I think the thing is um, the, the relationship with 
with a journalist is really, it is a relationship. And a lot of times it's built over time. Um, I have had some journalists who have come to me after um, a founder pitched them and said, don't pitch me, hire a publicist. Like some of them bristle at being pitched by, you know, people that are not, you know, professional, you know, PR practitioners. Um, And maybe it's because the approach is wrong, you know, um, that the people don't necessarily know what they're doing. However, I do think that when you've got a really passionate founder, um, Mm -hmm. somebody that spends some time building relationships, so they start to follow the journalist on Twitter, like their stories, maybe connect with them on LinkedIn or on Instagram, maybe meet them at an event. Now they've got a personal connection. And in Mm -hmm. that case, I have seen where a founder can pitch a reporter directly um, and, you know, say like, hey, I just want to share another you know, update on my product. And in that case, you want to not just reach out to them when you want something, but you want to, you know, so that it is a true but relationship. Cold calling <laughs> just doesn't work, you think, anymore? Like just purely DMing 20 journalists on Twitter, let's say, just to get the machine going, it's, it's not going to help. Honestly, think? it sometimes hurts. It sometimes angers them. <laughs> oh, got it, <laughs> and, got it. And sometimes they will, um, I mean, sometimes they will repost what people are sending them. Sometimes they'll repost bad pitches um, and um, messages. So, you know, mm. it's like anything else. I mean, you know, if a, if a random person slides into your DMs, like how often do you respond? You know, mm. probably not very often unless they're True. really offering something compelling. So, um, and especially, you know, like everybody, we all get a million texts, emails, calls all day long. And that is where the relationship, whether it's through a publicist or you're a founder um, who has just spent a lot of time building relationships, you know, with journalists, Hmm. um, you know, then you can kind of get through to them. But I think that's kind of the way it works either way. Um, You know, if it is on an earned basis. Um, You did ask a question also about advertising. I think especially for younger, newer brands and companies, um, it can be really important for them to get into some of the trade publications. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that case, I do think that sometimes first establishing a relationship as an advertiser Mm -hmm. um, and then coming with an ask for, you know, maybe for them to do a feature story on you, whether that is you asking yourself as a founder or through a publicist, um, that is another kind of common tactic. Um, So Mm. like in the cannabis world, you know, outlets like, um, you know, Marijuana Venture, um, MG Magazine, you know, um, Marijuana Business Daily, their print magazines, their monthly or quarterly, they all depend on advertising dollars. They do kind of glossy full page spreads. Um, They're not really pay for play because they decide, you know, who they're going to feature, but building a relationship by first being an advertiser, it shows some respect that you read Mm. their publication, you know, that you understand that you are targeting their readers, um, you know, um, and so in that case, you know, sometimes spending some ad dollars first before making Mm -hmm. that request, you know, is the right approach. I think uh, the PR has evolved as well. You know, I see, uh, personally, I I see that as a social validation, not more than a distribution play these days. So Mm -hmm. let's say, uh, what I mean by that is, let's say if if an article comes on High Times or, you know, High Times is still a good example because it's a lot of B2C and good uh, traffic. But let's say uh, any B2B magazine, you know, it comes there. Uh, it's usually the traffic they will eyeballs they'll get is like let's say thousand views, you know, versus even a small Instagram post will get thousand views, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, where do you see uh, this? Why shall people still do PR? Like, what is the mm-hmm. play there? I think there's a few reasons. Again, especially for startups, the first thing I'll say is 
it's interesting because um, I once had a tiny, tiny CBD product startup and we got them in this um, roundup, you know, during 420 from rollingstone.com, which is about as good as it gets. And they were included along some other major products. Guess how many clicks they got to their website from that? Rolling Stones, I'm guessing a lot, like 150,000. They got four. They got four. Oh, wow. However, that story, they, you know, what was shared on LinkedIn by them and by others. Um, it was then reposted to their Instagram. You know, it was tweeted. They got a lot of inbounds, you know, hundreds of inbounds and sales and repeat sales, not from the original story, but from all of the different places where that story was kind of syndicated and reshared, mm. especially on social media. And that makes sense because when you think about it, how often do you go out to rollingstone.com and True. read a story? You know, we're all really busy. We don't do that, really. We, re we find our news in aggregators, whether we're checking Twitter, you know, whether yeah. we are using Apple News or other aggregators. So that's where it, and, you know, uh, and LinkedIn and other places where people are sharing stories. And it's kind of curated. You know, for me, my LinkedIn is very curated where I'm seeing pro news about, you know, marketing, you know, CPG, cannabis, alcohol, because, you know, that's my space. So um, in that case, you're getting an even more hyper-targeted audience when those pieces get reshared. Um, and a lot of times there's a lot more credibility behind that because, you know, of who's sharing it. So that's the first thing to think about is that it's not where, where you first place that story is just the beginning. It, if it's online, it's going to live online forever. And I've had, you know, clients say that one online story that they continued to get clicks and sales off that story Darn. for years afterwards. Um, and all of the different ways, you know, that it can be reshared. Um, you know, so that's kind of the first reason for doing PR. A, a second thing I'll say is one of my uh, other small startup clients managed to get a huge distribution partnership with um, probably one of the biggest be alcoholic beverage distributors, you know, in the US. Um, and they are a tiny female founded startup and they um, were the only brand that was picked up that wasn't like a celebrity backed brand. Um, and that was in part due to an introduction that I made to, you know, another, you know, between the two parties. Um, but they told me that the reason that they were selected is because, you know, they were able to provide kind of a a cell deck that showed all the press that they had gotten and how they gained social media followers. And, you know, in that case, it's really whether it's for getting investors or for getting distribution deals, they want to see that you are marketing your product, you mm. know, that you, um, you know, that you are spending money on public relations and marketing and that, you know, your brand is already out there. And mm. that can be the thing that moves the needle and makes a decision. If they're picking one brand, yours over, you know, the other five. So that's another reason that people come to us a lot is because, you know, they really want to get that, you know, as seen in Forbes, Realist, you know, True. Rolling Stone, Etc. in their deck, on their website, um, et cetera, because that's going to add, you know, a lot of validity, um, you know, for the different shareholders and stakeholders they're trying to reach. Yeah, great point. So I've, I've written like, it's, it's basically what you do with your stories as well, right? Once it's published and how you use it in different ways, like sales deck is a great example. Like when you're pitching your distributors mm -hmm. or dispensaries, you know, how you can include that. One example is, you know, how you repackage and make micro content out of it for social media. Uh, what other ways we can sort of use press uh, that we've got, like, you know, and put them at good use. Any other examples that come to mind uh, wh where brands can sort of repackage it and distribute it in different ways? 
Um, well, again, I think, you know, there's, there's different types of brand building, there's building your personal brand. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, especially for startups, it's important for the founder to build their own brand, as well as, you know, there is the product brand. And then sometimes there's also the company brand, right? So mm -hmm. you'll often have a parent company, and then they'll have one or more brands, you know, that they put out. And this is especially the case, like with MSOs, multi-state operators in cannabis. So, you know, we will represent, you know, the master company like Mary Med, then we yep. will represent maybe the seven products that they have in their portfolio, which might be a, a variety of edibles, beverages, vapes, right? And then we will also, um, you know, basically serve as the publicist for, you know, the CEO and maybe a handful of other C-suite individuals, you know, the CMO, et cetera. So when we're crafting a public relations strategy, we're not just saying, let's sample the product and let's just try to get, you know, all this lifestyle stories. Yeah. We are also trying to program them on podcasts like this. Hmm. You know, we are trying to get um, them, um, you know, listed in like 40 under 40 and, you know, 10 hmm. to watch type of lists. Um, you know, um, we are trying to get features on their company in places like Forbes and Inks, you know, where they can talk a little bit more, not just about product, but about strategy. Um, and, you know, we're also trying to do um, the type of uh, the type of media relations that's going to build their corporate brand and their employer brand so that people want to go work there. Right. Got so it. those are all the different ways that PR can work for you. It's not just about getting product placements for your for your actual brand. True. You know, I think the hard thing about PR is it is probably the toughest marketing vertical where you can measure true ROI because it is very difficult to tie a direct line from public yeah. relations to sales because you don't, unless it's, it, there's like a, a promo code that they got from an influencer and true. then they buy with that code. It's really tough to know where somebody heard about your product. But, yeah. you know, one of the best things that ever happened to me when it was one of my first cannabis clients that I represented, um, you know, they told me that somebody came to them after a few weeks and said, all of a sudden, I'm, I hear people talking about you, I see a billboard, you're in my social feed, then I go online, and there's a story about you, like, it feels like you're everywhere all of a sudden. And that's, mm. I call it surround sound, but that's what we're trying to create for our clients mm. is to create those moments where, you know, there's stories about them, you know, in all different types of verticals, mainstream verticals, trade verticals, podcasts, and it's working together with their paid marketing, you know, um, you know their uh, outdoor advertising, if they're doing that, so that it does kind of feel like all of a sudden they're on the map, right? It, it um, hits me right there. Uh, give me some examples of, let's say, uh, PR campaigns, Lisa, right? So I think uh, what comes to my mind is when you're launching a new brand, you know, it's very easy. Like what you said is, all right, let's do some founder stories. Let's do a brand kickoff. Let's do some account stories that it's based here mm -hmm. and so on, right? But after one year, you know, what kind of things you can come up to sort of refresh uh, things out there? Uh, you know, like uh, after you're done with your first thing, what yeah. are some other things that you can do? You bet. I mean, look, it, clients bring us on to launch their products. But if that's all we did, we'd be out of business because you can only do that once. Right. True. Um, that's really just the beginning. And, you know, my background, again, comes from Budweiser, a brand that is, you know, over 100 years old that a company has managed to 
keep that brand relevant, right? For, for decades and decades and generations. So, um, you know, how do you do that? The way that we do it, um, whether we're launching a product and then trying to sustain it, or whether we're inheriting like a legacy product that's already been on the market that maybe is languishing or wants to get to the next level, um, we really work with them to build what I call a cultural calendar, which is mm-hmm. where we really kind of look at the year in four parts, kind of quarter by quarter. And we look at, what milestones do you as a company have coming up? So do you have different products or SKUs launching at different times? When are your earnings if you're public? You know, when are you having, you know, what are what's your new cycle of the announcements you need to share? But then we look at what's happening in culture and we look at, okay, you know, the holidays. Or 20, but not even just those moments. But, you know, like if you're a product, um, if you're a CBD product that, you know, um, helps with relaxation, um, are there times um, when we should be targeting parents, you know, back to school time, um, Mm. you know, summer vacation, like, you know, what are those moments? So we look at, you know, a variety of holidays, seasonal moments, and sometimes unexpected moments. I especially like to get outside of the cannabis vertical because, for example, everybody went after 420 in April. We did some mm. 420 work, but our best work we did for April Fool's Day because we wanted mm. to get ahead of the 420 um, narrative because we knew it would be so cluttered. So we did a really fun um, cannabis activation on April Fool's Day, um, you know, on 41. So um, we work with them to kind of plan ahead um, at least three months in advance, sometimes longer if there's going to be some production timeline uh, to figure out what their stories are going to be and how we can kind of intersperse the stories they want to tell with mm-hmm. what's going on in culture um, mm-hmm. so that, you know, we have kind of an always on storytelling approach, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, like yeah, right yeah, now absolutely. it's July. We're planning right now um, activations for Halloween, you know, activations for the holidays, um, yep. you know, Thanksgiving, you know, et cetera. So, yeah. So uh, Lisa, you know, let's say you're working in a very small company uh, and then you just have like four people overall, right? So one guy is selling, one is a founder doing finances, inventory production. And now you hired this one new person uh, just, you know, to get some PR work done, right? Like to get some PR awareness and so on. Mm-hmm. What kind of, you know, what kind of KPIs or what kind of task list you would make up for that junior person uh, to get started on? You know, I, yeah. I hope you're understanding, right? So like if mm-hmm. it was pure in-house, your own company you're running, basic small to medium company, what are the things mm-hmm. you would make that person do? Sure. Well, you can't really get much done at all unless you have a really strong media list. Um, and that is basically, it can be something as simple as a Google spreadsheet um, mm-hmm. where you um, spend some time researching who is covering your beat, right? So if you Got are it. a cannabis beverage, you're looking at who's covering cannabis, who's yep. covering beverages, who's covering cannabis. So make a nice list, basically. I got it. Yeah. yeah. So you're getting it. And that can be difficult. Um, there are tools that, especially that PR agencies have and pay for where we have databases, where we can go and we can, we can, you know, do some kind of Boolean searches for who is covering my specific, you know, set of criteria um, and get their email address get their, um, sometimes their phone number and uh, a lot of times their social handles, right? Um, I use those tools some of the time to fill in the blanks, but I do a lot of this kind of manually or in real time, which is I'm active on social platforms. I'm, you know, always following new journalists and influencers across Twitter, you know, Instagram. Yeah. I mean, now people are on Twitch, Discord, etc. cetera. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm always kind of populating that list. So I think that's where you have to start is you have to know who is covering. So, uh, I think you list- send your, your beverage uh, 
press release to somebody that is covering, you know, like I get shoes. it. I get it. So <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we can care. make it. That's a good point. Like we'll make a nice list and it's customized. Each each email is customized when you're sending. But do you think this junior person? Sometimes what I've found is uh, authority matters. Like if a CEO is sending a message to a journalist saying, "Hey, hey, hey, John, you know, uh, nice to meet you, and I would love to catch up with you if you're coming here or there. You know, I'm in the city." And blah blah. Versus a, a a person, you know, who's just a junior and and just they know that they are just um, doing a mechanical PR work. You know, mm-hmm. any tips there on how they can get their conversions versus if it was an mm-hmm. owner doing the same work? You know, you you know that yeah. it, they would get better conversions. Well, look, my honest opinion, having done this for three decades as both a client as an agency person, I think the biggest mistake that people make is thinking that their PR or social media can be done by an intern or somebody right out of college. I've seen that not only fail, but I've seen that actually cause a lot of harm. Mm -hmm. Um, And oftentimes when companies come to us, they come to us because they have just either had a junior person or they've hired a really cheap agency with really young people that didn't know what they were doing. And now Mm -hmm. they are ready for some adults to enter the room. And, um, you know, so, um, it doesn't mean that you have to have a big budget to to do public relations, but if you had $3,000 a month, I would rather see you hire a part-time freelancer with 20 years of experience and strong relationships who can get more done for you in three hours a day than somebody who is right out of school that doesn't know what they're doing is going to get done. That doesn't mean don't hire junior people because I have hired people out of college and trained them, but I will often spend two years training them before I let them talk to a reporter, (laughs) you know? Um, So, um, you know, that's what I always advise. If people come to us, they want PR support, but they can't yet afford an agency or like the full What about uh, submitting your press releases? You know, like when, when, you just Google like submit free press release sort of thing, right? So you, the list thing is amazing. Reaching out to people is amazing. What are the three, four more things that uh, people can do in their own offices to get uh, more, you know, hits like more knocking the doors sort of thing? Um, you know, I mean, I think the other, the, uh, if you have a product, you've got to get that product in the market and have people sample it. Um, okay. There's really two ways when you're trying to get editorial coverage, you need a strong press kit. So that means that even if you're just creating a Google Drive, you need you, your company logo, your executive headshots, some really great high res photos of your product, um, both like on a white background, the single product, the family of products, and maybe some lifestyle images of, you know, product in different use cases, right? Um, So that's kind of called your digital press kit. Um, Reporters hate it if you send them an attachment. If you, Mm. you know, think of your own inbox, if somebody sends you a bunch of attachments or huge files, like you're going to just delete it. Right. So you never want to do that. You want to send them a really brief pitch if you're emailing them. um, And um, then a link to your press kit where all of that stuff is housed on a Dropbox, on Mm -hmm. a Google drive, someplace else. Um, So even if they can't try your product, which is often the case with with THC products, because you can't mm-hmm. cross state lines to sample that. A lot of times just having a re- really strong editorial visual assets, you know, will get the job done. And the second thing is just to find ways to sample people. So if you need to show up where they are, um, or if you get a dialogue going, and you know, especially with COVID, everybody's working from home. So we've had to reach out to hundreds of reporters over time to request their home, you know, mailing addresses so we can mm-hmm. send them product. Um, and then sometimes they'll write in two weeks, sometimes they'll write in two months, a year, you know, but they're not, they're often not going to write the story unless they've tried the product, and feel like they can really recommend it. So sampling is really important. 
Well, super. And is this still like, uh, you know, is it okay for people to ask, you know, I'm, I'm coming in town, let's say I'm, I'm, if I'm pitching, I'm getting my story done in London and I'll say, you know, hey, I'm in London from 13th to 18th, you know, it would be great to catch up for a coffee. Is it okay to say, or it, it, it's conveyed as like some bribe sort of thing, you know, that you're taking me out for lunch to get some work done? Yeah, no, it, it's first, it's in no way a bribe in most, um, you know, in, in most reporters, unless, unless they're freelancers, they can't accept a gift or have to have things paid for them over like, a, you know, very small dollar amount anyway. Um, so um, it, it's actually what you're suggesting is the way that things get done. It's been tougher during COVID. But Got you know, it. anytime that I'm in a new market, I try to reach out to the journalists, you know, or, you know, even other people. So, in the so industry. The, uh, taking wine and dine is still a good approach, right? Like to have relation in, in, in this. Industry. Yeah, or to just, you know, meet them, meet them for a quick coffee and bring some of your Got product it. along and, and, be, and, and leave some with them, you know, or in a t shirt or, you know, whatever that is. So that's, you know, that's still a tried and true tactic or, you know, taking somebody to a, a yoga class to a spinning class to, you know, to uh, getting, having an extra concert ticket, you know, it depends yes, who yes. they are, if they can accept that. Um, but sometimes that goes a long way. And I will tell you, some of my best friends are started out as a situation where I was the publicist and they were the reporter. And we went to a music festival together because they were covering it. And then we went to dinner and hung out and, you know, 20 years later, I'm at their wedding and we're best friends, you know, so like relationships do develop over time when you're spending yeah. time with people in an organic way. So one last question, Lisa. Uh, I've noticed that there are a lot of freelance journalists these days or writers, right? So one person is writing uh, and they're, they're contributing in Forbes, in High Times or few th- you know, five, six mm-hmm. places, right? So uh, instead of the asset, this person is more important like to have a relation because I may get a home run like five different places my press may go, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't know whether they are on a payroll of Forbes or I don't know what exclusivity or, you know, what's I've I find my self as starting them by giving a writing gig that hey are you looking mm-hmm. for some uh, some writing gigs and then maybe that is a right way to start understanding this person uh what are mm-hmm. where do you see this space because a lot of journalists are sort of freelance writers as well mm-hmm. it goes back to what i said before which is that all of the media outlets are cutting their budgets you constantly see stories of like 500 layoffs at BuzzFeed, etc. So a lot of really good journalists are going freelance. And so there's a few things to that said. One is that, you know, if anything you can do to help them do their job, what they have to do to eat is they have to build relationships with editors and they need to bring those editor stories. They need to pitch stories to them and say like, hey, I've got an idea for a story. And they need to convince that editor to pay them to write this story, right? Mm. So what you can do is you can bring them a fully baked, awesome story where you can say, here's my idea. Here's some data. Here's three different spokespeople that you can talk to with different perspectives. And then, you know, they'll go and do their due diligence and build on that. So anything that you can do to bring them something that they can, you know, pitch is helpful. Um, you know, by following people on, on Twitter and in, or on and LinkedIn, you can often kind of see where where they're writing, and you can mm. tell when they are freelance versus their staff writers. And if they're mm. staff writers, like they have a steady byline, you know, they can they're only writing typically for one publication. Where a freelancer may write for eight publications. And some of my biggest stories, including a New York Times cover, was not written by a staff writer. It was written by a freelancer. Mm. Um, you know, so um, you never want to overlook a freelancer because they can be incredibly important and powerful. Um, mm-hmm. But again, you have to be kind of tracking what they're writing about, where they're writing, and, you know, bring them some value. Super, Lisa. So I think we'll wrap it up with just like a quick takeaway, which you want to make, give to, uh, you know, everyone about like quick five to do's and five not to do's 
you know, especially if you break it down on what not to do as well to piss them off, right? Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, geez. Let's see. Well, I mean, I guess the first thing is it's a, a, media, a relationship with a journalist is like any other relationship where it needs to be reciprocal and it needs to have respect. So, you know, if you want to take something out of the tank, you got to be putting something back in. So think of it that way as an exchange. Think of it as something that is over time. So don't make your first time that you reach out to them asking for something, right? Um, if they do something great for you, like if a journalist writes a great story, you know, what helps them out, you know, sometimes they get paid by the click. So share it on all your social feeds, tag them. They want to see that you're putting support behind that story. Email them to thank them for the story and, you know, say like, hey, next time you're working on this, come to come to me, right? Um, maybe reach out to them kind of in between times to compliment stories they're writing on, right? So, I mean, treat it like any other relationship that you would be, you would be building and, and don't make it just one way or just when you Kind of need something. Um, the other don't that we talked about is just, you know, don't necessarily, even if you have a small budget, um, don't assume that that means that you can only afford an intern or, you know, somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. A lot of times with a tight budget, you can still get somebody really experienced and high value by, you know, instead of going to a big agency, maybe going to a, a, an individual publicist who you're only going to have some of the time, but that time is going to be, you know, really well spent and high value. Um, you know, so that's another one. Um, absolutely, you know, it's now that kind of COVID is winding down a bit, being able to go and network at real events like your Cannabis Drinks Expo, you know, that's a great place to go and meet other people in the industry. Journalists attend those, influencers attend those, um, you know, other organizer. So it's just a great way, um, you know, to kind of get out there. Um, and in terms of dues, you know, one of the things that we talked about is if you get a great media hit, like don't let it die on the vine, um, mm -hmm. find ways to amplify that, um, you know, on across a variety of social channels, send it to all of the employees on your team or distributors and, you know, ask them to share it because um, that gives that story new life. It really you know, boost the clicks and the engagement and the SEO, um, you know, and that helps the writer and it helps you. So think about that whole life cycle. Um, and then, you know, finally, don't assume that putting out a press release is your PR strategy. Uh, it's not. It's it's kind of a box that you need to check, but you almost don't even need a PR or a uh, press release anymore, um, unless you're a public company and are forced to file one because you need to um, for disclosure purposes. Um, it is really more of a tool for getting your narrative together and kind of for SEO, but you really do need um, either a publicist or somebody in-house or you need to be a passionate founder who can actually dedicate the time, um, you know, to to building these relationships and doing outreach the right way, which a lot of founders don't have the time to do, but it is possible if, you know, you're on that kind of budget. The last thing I'll say is um, even if you're on a tight budget, it doesn't mean you can't do amazing things. The biggest program that we did last year, we did for $3,500. And that was that world's largest pot brownie that we did with our client, Mary Med. They were launching a new edible. It was only available in one state, Massachusetts, in one dispensary. And they were launching it three weeks before Christmas. So who the hell is going to care about that? Who's going to write about that? How am I going to get somebody in California or New York to write about that? So, um, you know, we, we came up with a couple ideas that were really expensive. And so then we, we, you know, went back to the beginning and we came up with the idea of why don't we just bake the world's biggest pot brownie? Um, and we researched, you know, Guinness to find out how big it had to be. And we ended up building an 850 pound kind of three foot by three foot brownie 
it was at the max um, THC limit, which is 20,000 mm -hmm. for Boston. We got 1,750 plus stories, 5 billion impressions. Wow. Um, it's been winning gold trophies at every, you know, marketing and PR award we've submitted it to. Um, but it also, you know, it, it bumped the stock price for the company. It attracted new analysts. It attracted new business partners um, and, you know, continues to, you know, pay off for that company. It really did help put them on the map in many ways. Um, and it was, you know, really, we did it for, you know, the cost of the ingredients and the THC and of course the PR agency. Um, but yeah. yeah, you can still, you can still do big things with a small budget. And even amazing, if you're, amazing. even if you're a startup. Yeah. Congrats on that story. I think, uh, Great, Lisa. You know, appreciate your time on this. I think I've I've learned personally as well a lot. You know, on on exactly how to craft a PR strategy. Anything else, Lisa? You have for us here? I think that's it. Um, you can follow me at um, Cannabis Publicist on Instagram um, and Trailblaze.co um, on um, both Twitter and Instagram as well, or just Lisa Weezer I'm out there. Great. So I think I mean just just for the audience. I mean she. She's, uh, I, I think words are not coming, but I think you come from like really top-notch brands. So uh, you're, you're way, you know, uh, toned down because of the audience of the show. But for sure, I would, I would give a high shout out to, you know, reaching out to her for, especially if you have, you know, real long-term strategy behind it because she has done the game. And so I think feel free to uh, reach out to Lisa. We'll have her uh, details in the comments. Uh, appreciate Lisa. See you soon then. You bet. Sounds good. I'll see you in Chicago.